0: It's good to be with you guys. How are we doing? Okay, we've got some tired ladies maybe from the retreat and then a group of people that are just here. And I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know why that was not meant to be an attack on anybody. I thought that was just like we were kind of all on the same page there. Um, Sorry, uh, didn't mean that. There's more coffee in the lobby. Look, I think ever since we, so last week we started this series on Jonah. uh, Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Last week since we started this series on Jonah, uh, I thought two things. So, number one, uh, has anybody ever been in a situation where they were uh, on a computer and you had just like Googled something and then somebody walked by behind you and saw what you had Googled and you were like slightly embarrassed about it? Anybody ever been in that situation before? All right, so I work uh primarily from home and my wife's a teacher so she is at home with me currently as well and she happened to walk by as i was prepping for this message and trying to figure out a good introduction and she happened to see a joke about a big fish on my google search and thought that was just ridiculous but i'll spare you as though although i found some jokes that had a good chuckle to them uh we are not going to do a joke about a big fish Instead, I thought we would start this sermon by trying to answer the question that I know all of you have been wondering since the moment you heard that this was a series on Jonah, and that is, what kind of fish was it? Right? Anybody else with me on that? So don't worry, some of you I know have seen veggie Tales and you're like, it was a whale, duh, I, we don't need to discuss this. And then others of you are very studious and have looked this up and you've landed on whatever kind of fish you think it was, clearly a whale shark or something like that. Uh, but I have done some research for us and I thought it would be fun for us to just talk about this together for a moment before we get started here. So as this is clearly the most important part of the story of Jonah. Uh, so number one, I thought the story was called Jonah and the Whale, is it not? Anybody? Yeah, that that was me uh, about six years ago before I did my first uh, message on Jonah to a group of students and realized myself that this is not a story about a whale. Um, Secondly, according to the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology, which is a very fancy-sounding title to something I've never heard of prior to looking this up, uh, the story is often referred to as Jonah and the whale, but the Hebrew here is for great fish. However, the more generic and even the original Greek word in the New Testament could refer to a general sea creature. Thus, it could refer to any kind of fish, shark, whale, could even be a dinosaur, for all we know. Um, let's get into some exactly. Let's get into some of the scientific possibilities, shall we? Uh, it is possible for an entire person to fit into the mouth of a whale shark. So is it a whale? Is it a shark? Who knows? It's a whale shark. We actually have evidence of a diver being half swallowed by a whale shark, uh, one of these and then being spit out. But if we look at the actual throat or esophagus of a whale shark, uh, it's actually probably too small in diameter to have a human fit down all the way through into the belly. Uh, So that could be a challenge, although it could be a very large one. Now, uh, we have some other options. So a basking shark also fit an entire person into its mouth but has the same issue with our esophagus throat uh, that the whale shark has uh, and in fact there are several large sea creatures that could fit a human into their mouth but getting them all the way into the belly is a huge challenge. So Other options that we could have. Uh, It's possible that the biggest version of a a blue whale could fit a human down its throat. Uh, Blue whales can grow up to 100 feet in length and weigh roughly 200 tons or 400,000 pounds if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, And I imagine, Uh, That's about the size of my house. So not a bad room for Jonah to live in for a few days. Uh, However, uh, we have some challenges with the blue whales as well as they are not found in the Mediterranean Sea, which is where we believe the story of Jonah takes place. So what's our next option? The fin whale uh, is a close relative of the blue whale and looks virtually identically. identically Whoa. (laughs) Whew. A lot of L's and L Y's. Okay, looks virtually identical. That's what we're going with. There we go. But it's slightly smaller. And uh, unfortunately has the same issue with getting through the throat into the belly. Um, There are options. I'm just gonna run through the rest of these because I feel like we're we're really lagging behind here. So sperm whale is an option. Uh, Could have been a dinosaur. God prepared the fish, could have just created it on the spot. Here's the point I'm trying to make after all of this ridiculous, lengthy discussion about what kind of fish it is, that what kind of fish it is is not the point. (laughs) Um, Here is the point, and this is really important, and I, I don't think that we'll have this on the screen, but if you're taking notes, this might be something that's important to write down, is that the fish represents the vehicle that brings Jonah back into line with God's plan the fish is the vehicle that brings Jonah back into line with God's plan. So it doesn't matter what kind of fish it was. It doesn't matter what kind of creature or if God created it in the moment and we don't have any evidence of whatever that creature actually was because it just disappeared right after it spit him out. The point is, is that the fish is the vehicle that brings Jonah back into line with God's plan. And we're going to be talking about Jonah chapter two today. And so it's going to be all this prayer that Jonah prayed while he was in the belly of this fish. Uh, Now, As we... Think back to last week, kind of get us into the mindset to talk through Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1 is the story of God telling Jonah that he needs to go to Nineveh, or he's asking him to go and to tell them of this impending doom, of the evil of the city. And Jonah decides to go in the opposite direction. He's going to flee to a a port where he's going to hop on a boat, and he's going to go headed towards the city of Tarshish. Now, uh, the important thing here is that uh, as we look at this story, we see that there's a lot of kind of uh, comical or even exa- maybe exaggerated pieces of it. Um, now, not to s- that's not to say that the story isn't real. There's some debate on that, but uh, that's not, I'm not going to tell you one way or the other. Uh, the point is just being that Tarshish is kind of a, a symbolic representation of just the other side of the world. In other terms, Jonah is trying to go as far away from where God is calling him as possible. And why might he do that? The, the reason why is because the Ninevites were uh, a people that were known to be incredibly uh, harsh towards the Hebrews, towards Jonah's family, towards his people, uh, that they would be known to skin their leaders and to put them on display in order for uh, the rest of the cities to come into line, to be obedient to uh, what their rules were and to th- allow them to rule over them. Uh, to treat them harshly, and so when God tells Jonah to go and basically reveal their sin to him send to them, uh, Jonah's response is no i don't I don't want to do that to a people that has been so harsh to me now. Uh, I mentioned before that I, I'm, I'm sure some of you have probably seen the VeggieTales version of Jonah. Uh, and that's uh, a, a version of the story that I somewhat grew up with. It wasn't really into VeggieTales, but the story that I grew up with in Jonah was, you know, the story of this, you know, comical fish that swallowed Jonah. And, you know, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to, but he, you know, gets swallowed by the fish and he goes and spits him out. And then he goes and preaches and, woo, you know, happy ending, right? That's not the story. It's not the story uh, it's a story actually about a, a really rebellious prophet um, and it's symbolic of god speaking trying to trying to make a point to the nation of israel that he has called them to a purpose that they are not fulfilling and as i've kind of processed this story as i prepared for this message as I, we listened to russell's uh breakdown of jonah chapter one last week I've come to just have a deeper appreciation for how actually difficult this story can be to read, uh, depending on where we may be at in life. And there are moments in our lives when God asks us to maybe do something that appears incredibly difficult or even impossible. Um, The closest thing, as I was thinking about an example that we could use uh, to Jonah's, to God's request for Jonah to go a- and and basically you know offer his God's word to the Ninevites would be. Um, so so think back to where you were at. Most of us will probably have this burned into our brains. Uh, if you're at a certain age, um, where you, where were you when 9/11 happened? Where were you when you saw you know the the horrific devastation that happened? on that day and uh, the death and the destruction that happened in our country. Now, think about like a week later or a day later, hearing from God that you needed to go to the Middle East, to Iraq, to Iran, to wherever your perceived, the perceived enemy was, and to share with them God's word, to share with them the evil that they had coming or that they were a part of and, and try to get them to repent. Because my memory is that there was a, a general idea that that was the enemy and we were going to take a different kind of action towards them. And so Jonah's challenge here, and when we read this story from an adult perspective, um, we begin to understand that this is actually a really challenging message and something that's a somewhat of a mirror to us to reflect into our souls in some of the places that we have a lot of challenge and in, in that we are in some ways in times in our lives, very similar to Jonah's character in the story. Another reason why uh, that this story can be a challenge to read and why I think it's actually really profound and important for us to talk about as a church is that uh, there are multiple perspectives of this story that, that matter. So we assume, or, or at least I'm assuming as we're coming in, uh, like I just said, that, that maybe Jonah is, is our role or that, that can be a reflection that we can re- you know, realize that oh, I'm, more, I'm more like Jonah than I, wa- than I ki- want to admit. But there's also the reality that, in some ways, we can be the role of the Ninevites as well. That at some point we may have been an enemy to someone, but that we were shown forgiveness and grace by God, and in and, and some point, you know, not just an enemy of another human being, but an enemy of God. Uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, is what the scriptures say, and so uh, that is what the links that God was willing to go to that while we were his enemy, he was willing to sacrifice for us. He was willing to go and fulfill what Jonah refused to do uh, in the beginning. And so uh, in some ways we can relate to Jonah and see our own sin and failure. And in some ways we can see ourselves in the Ninevites as even an enemy of God that was still shown grace and mercy. Doesn't really sound like a kid's story anymore, does it? Uh, it's, It's difficult. It's difficult to process. Uh, but here's the the ultimate um, conclusion that I came to as I was thinking about that uh, is that if my enemy is not worthy of God's love and salvation, then neither am I, uh, because I am equally worthy of condemnation. of my My sin has caused me to be worthy of death and to be condemned by God, but I am not. And uh, before we even jump into our p- our passage into Jonah chapter two, it was just such a uh, a good reminder of God's love and grace and mercy for me and for us. Uh, So I hope that's encouraging to you this morning, even though this can be a challenging uh, scripture to read and to process. Now, uh, this idea of Jonah's disobedience, I want to jump back to that for a second. Uh, His disobedience and not sharing salvation with the Ninevites or not sharing the message that God has for them, uh, again, it's a representation of the Israelites' purpose uh, to be a blessing to the world that they are not fulfilling. And so if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, we see that God told Abraham that he was going to have a family and offspring that was going to be a blessing to the entire world, that they would outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea and that they would uh, be a blessing to everyone. That was the intention. And, and that blessing was passed down generation to generation to Jacob, who then had uh, had his name changed to Israel and then had his 12 children that then would lead the 12 tribes of Israel and he had the blessing that was passed along. And those 12 tribes were then given that same order to be a blessing to the world, but but they were not. They had begun to fight internally, that they would look to conquer as opposed to to bless. They would look to do things on their own. They set up false idols. They would worship the gods that they... uh, of the other nations that they were around, they were not fulfilling the role that God had given them. And this is the story, the purpose of the story is to be a reflection to them. And and we see that not just in just the kind of general idea of it, but even throughout the scriptures, we get different examples of that. So in uh, Hosea chapter eight, I'm going to read these first eight verses to you. Now, Hosea is a prophet who is around in a similar time period as Jonah. And it's kind of giving the background or the, 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 the lesson of the story of Jonah, but in a much more direct way. So listen to this and see if you pick up on any of the same language from uh, the story of Jonah here. So he says this, Set the trumpet to your lips, one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. They've done what I've, not what I've asked them to do. And to me they cry, My God, we Israel know you. Uh, Israel has spurned the good, the enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. They made decisions on their own. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf of Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Storm. Interesting. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flour. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Verse 8, Israel is swallowed up already there among the nations as a useless vessel. We see these kind of same themes of they've gone their own way. They will bring storms upon them and be swallowed up. The prophet Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah also said of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that he had swallowed Israel up and spewed them out. In Psalm 124, we see that uh, the psalmist says that if the Lord had not saved them, an enemy of Israel would have swallowed them up. It's the same language, it's, it's woven throughout, it's intentional. Uh, throughout the Scripture to to be this kind of uh, theme as we see and to use Jonah as this illustration and this story that's going to reflect onto the nation of Israel. Look, you you are Jonah. You're running from the purpose that God has given you. And then again, now we fast mm, excuse me fast forward to today. It is now our reflection. Um, where do we line up in the story? Or are we in certain areas of our life running from the purposes that God has for us? Um, before we start, we're going to jump into the the story of uh, Jonah in chapter two here, but I want to think about Jonah sitting in the belly of the fish for a second. Uh, If you could put yourself in that position, close your eyes if you need to, you know, it's, it's kind of weirdly warm and wet, uh, I would imagine. Uh, It's maybe gooey or rubbery, and I know you're all like cringing right now. I won't use the M word, don't worry. Um, (laughs) But there may be like seaweed and other things that the fish has swallowed around you and it feels, it's, it's, gar- it's got to be dark, I would imagine. Um, and you're considering your own mortality and the decisions that you had made. How did you end up here? How did I find myself in the belly of this fish in this moment? And that's where we find Jonah in the beginning of chapter two. It starts like this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And uh, that's really interesting in, in chapter 1, towards the end, uh, as the storm is coming upon the boat that Jonah is in, he actually asked the sailors to throw him overboard, intending to die uh, in order to not have to go to Nineveh. But, faced with his own mortality, faced with his own death, Jonah changes his mind. (laughs) He cries out to God. Uh, And Jonah, in this moment, he he didn't want to do what God asked him to do. But when he finds himself lost in the beast, he asks God to get him out. I'm debating on a joke here. I'm sorry. I have in my notes, oh, how the turntables have turned. And that's a reference for all the office fans out there. Uh, It felt like a serious moment to bring that up. But now we're all in the joke together. (sighs) All (laughs) right. What do you think about God when you feel um, overwhelmed, though? Uh, When you find yourself in the the belly of the fish, uh, whatever that looks like for you in your own life. Uh, Are you feeling overwhelmed? Is your initial thought that God is far from you or that he's close to you? It's interesting to me that Jonah makes this, uh, he makes this call out to the Lord in the midst of his distress. I think, um, I'm not saying that this is for all of us or in every situation, but oftentimes it feels like when we're uh, in these moments of distress, when we're in the the lowest points of our lives, maybe it's easy to feel like God is far from us or that he's abandoned us. And it's difficult sometimes to turn to him. But Jonah's example here, when he's in this difficult situation, he actually says, uh, the belly of Sheol. Sheol is is this representation of of the land of the dead, basically. When I felt like I was dead, I called out to you. And I I came to this, this interesting thought as I was reading that, that if God was willing to save the Ninevites, then why would Jonah or we question him saving us? In that moment, we kind of get to the end of our rope. We get to the dark points. We get to the belly of the fish. And Jonah says, I'm willing to, at this moment, turn in my distress to God, although it feels like my circumstance is at the lowest point it could possibly be and that God has abandoned me or that I'm alone, I will turn to God. And I would just encourage you this morning that if you've felt like that or you feel in a season close to that, that uh, turning to God is actually... more of the answer as opposed to maybe our natural reaction is turning away from him. Uh, Let Jonah be our example here. Now, I think it's also interesting that God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah uh, before he prays, but that he prays Before he finds salvation. And he's praying this in the belly of the fish. And this is how his prayer goes. In verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I find verse three to be really fascinating. I'm going to read it again and just kind of bring up some thoughts. But for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Again, who's he talking to when he says you? This is a response time. Sorry, not, hypo- not a rhetorical. When he says you, who's he talking to? God. Yes. So you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. Your, again, God, your waves and your bills passed over me. Who's Jonah blaming for his current situation? God. Now, this is a really important point that we get to this morning. And when we're reading Jonah, especially in chapter two, who's ultimately responsible for the situation that Jonah finds himself in? So a lot of Jonah over here. Okay. All right. All right. So we can all agree that Jonah disobeyed what God had asked him to do. Correct? Now, That being said, who caused the storm to come upon him? God. And who caused the fish to swallow him up? God. So is Jonah's conclusion correct or not? This is the whole chicken or egg situation we find ourselves in, right? Now, I want to make the case that if you believe that it's Jonah, who puts himself in this situation, I think you're right. I think there are times in our lives when either our sin or the sins of those around us impact us in a way that put us in a situation that sends us on a course away from where God is leading us, and something has to be done to correct our course to send us back. And if you think that God is ultimately responsible, I also think you're right. (laughs) Because ultimately, God's the one who... in. Who creates a storm and creates a fish that brings Jonah or that grabs Jonah and brings him back? And and at some point in our lives, we all have to, uh, if we're following Jesus or if we've considered putting our faith in Jesus, we all have to wrestle with this moment. And it's probably not going to look like you on a boat and a storm coming up and you being thrown overboard and a fish swallowing you. But it's probably going to look like I'm in a difficult situation in life. And I'm not sure, I know that I can acknowledge that my own sin in some ways has put me in this position. But I can also acknowledge that God's in supreme control and that he could have stopped this from happening if he wanted to. And even, is it possible that God intentionally had this come up in order for my good? Even if it's an unpleasant situation. Even if it's a difficult season of life, even if it's not something that I wanted to happen, is it possible that God intended it for my good? Even if I don't want to be in it in the moment, and who ultimately put me in this situation? I think we all have to get—we all get to a point at, some, at somewhere along the way in our walk with the Lord where that question or those questions begin to come up. Now, I would argue that even in the midst of the belly of the fish, as we see from Jonah's prayer, that God is with him. I think that's incredibly important. If our conclusion is that God caused the situation that Jonah is in, we also have to acknowledge that God never abandoned him in that situation. God was with him the entire time, but not like a genie in a bottle type of way where Jonah could just, you know, say, please get me out of here, and it immediately happened, or that he did everything that Jonah wanted him to. No, this is intentional. It's intentional to bring Jonah back in line with what God had asked him to do. And God, at some level, and this might be a difficult truth, one that we have to wrestle with, but at some level, God is okay with Jonah's discomfort in order to save his life. And there are times in our lives where I think we have to come to the conclusion that God is okay with our discomfort in some area in order to save our lives. Now, uh, I'll tell you a story that's maybe a little more lighthearted to help maybe bridge the gap of this point. Uh, When I was a kid, so uh, I grew up uh, most of my life on Lake of the Ozarks. Um, But even prior to living there, we moved there when I was eight. uh, And even prior to that, we would do a lot of boating. So boating has always been, or driving boats, skiing, wake, uh, not so much wakeboarding, a little bit of wakeboarding, some tubing, uh, has always been like a part of my life. It's always been. So uh, we grew up, uh, initially, I lived on just like the border of Illinois and Iowa, kind of where Missouri, Illinois, and Iowa all meet. We weren't very far from the Mississippi River used to take the boat to the river and like go up and down the river, find a sandbar. If you're not familiar with this lifestyle and these words are going over your head, I get it. Um, but just know there was a boat and some water involved and I would love to to try to drive the boat. You know, my as even as a little kid, I would sit on my dad's lap, uh, you know, just like driving a car, you kind of, you know, you're kind of pretending steering, but you know, ultimately mom, or dad's in control. Um, and I would, you know, steer. And as I got older, I could, you know, actually take control of the boat. Uh, I could steer it a little bit. My dad would take his hands off for a few moments, stuff like that. And, um, you know, we can talk about the good and bad of the parenting of that situation later, if you'd like to, but, uh, for the purposes of our story today, <laughs> uh, the point I'm trying to get to is that there were moments when I would be steering the boat, but, but the problem with me steering the boat was that I wasn't big enough to see the whole picture. Uh, I I maybe was just big enough to see over the wheel or just to see the the few waves in front of me or I didn't know the rules of the water I didn't know how close I could get to another boat I didn't know how close I could get to the shore or a buoy or whatever it may be I I didn't have the whole picture and I didn't know all the things that would happen or that I was supposed to do I didn't know what was best for the boat in the situation and occasionally I'd get frustrated because I would want to go this way and my dad would have to jump in and grab the wheel and turn us back this way. And I would get mad because I wanted, I wanted to be the one driving the boat, but ultimately I didn't know what was best for the boat and the passengers in it. A- and the, the point that I'm trying to make is that ultimately sometimes we want to be the one, the captain of our, of our ship. We want to be the ones driving the boat, but we don't have the whole picture. We don't know what's 10 years down the road, five years down the road. We don't know what's best for humanity around us, but God does. And so as much as we want to be the captains of our own ship at all times, there's a better captain. Like God makes a better captain of our boat. And and so submitting to where he is asking us to go is always going to lead us to something better, to life, even if it is a discomfort for a moment. Uh, This is the ultimate reality that I have to struggle with as someone who, as you can tell from a young age, wanted control and wanted to uh, not have to depend on somebody else. It's actually a good thing to depend on God. It's actually a good thing to depend on God. And our culture does not tell us that it's good to depend on anybody. (laughs) I think Russell's laughing right now because he knows how hard that is for me to depend on other people. Um, I'm assuming. You get a nod there? Yeah. All right, all right. Yep, all right. But it is actually a good thing to depend on God. As much as our our culture wants us to be self-sufficient and independent and push us in that direction and, you know, we can win, that's the um, kind of American mindset, right? Um, It's actually a good thing to depend on God. All right, let's keep reading here. Uh, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah's overwhelmed by the consequences of his sin in this moment and what is happening around him. But when all hope feels lost, God rescued him. From the pit, you brought me up, O Lord my God. God was never, God never abandoned Jonah, regardless of the circumstances. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, number one, the most important place to go when I was at my lowest point when I was in distress was to go into your presence. The temple of God's temple... Temple was where God's presence was meant to be. That's where the priests would go and meet with God. And so Jonah says, when I'm at my distress, where I go, where I look, where my focus goes is to your holy temple. In our terms, into your presence is where I go in times of distress. That's where I went and I found you. And those who pay regard to vain idols, everything else can go kick rocks. because their ho- their, they will be abandoned. Their hope, uh, They forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Uh, I want to kind of end our time together with uh, one final thought that kind of wraps this all together is that God's grace often comes in ways that we don't expect uh, or that we maybe wouldn't chose for ourselves. Uh, what kind of fish this was is far less important than what the fish represents, which is the vehicle that brings us back into line with God's plan. Now, what that vehicle looks like for each of us, maybe it's what we intended, maybe it's not. It could be something very surprising. It could be something that causes discomfort. It could be causes, it could be, you know, uh, any number of things. But ultimately, the important thing is that it brings us back into line with God's plan for us. And God's deliverance doesn't always look like how we want it to. I think if I was writing this story... I would have wanted, if I was maybe Jonah or in God's presence, I, I, think, I think a boat that was just going the other direction could have been sufficient. Um, I think a big bird to ride on maybe better than a fish. Um, I've always dreamed of flying, so that seems like an appropriate thing that could have rescued us. Uh, I also think even at minimum, we could have just gotten some Jesus water shoes to just walk our way back. Like that at minimum could have, but instead it's a fish. Something that typically would be thought of as a vehicle of death. Uh, how many people you know that have survived a fish swallowing? But it's, in t- its use was actually to bring Jonah back to life. And life being where God was leading him. Uh, I would also leave us with this thought. And I'll have Evan come back up if he would like to. Um, I guess either way, if you want to or not, would like you to. <laughs> but I'll leave us with this thought that Jesus wasn't how they expected deliverance at his time either, and how we often maybe would have set up uh deliverance for us as well. Um, I think about this. I, I asked a, a group Friday night if you could be God for a moment, if you could go back. How would you have designed the opportunity for humans to find salvation so you put yourself in a position your your creation those that you created to be your image bearers and to be a blessing to the world they've gone astray and and they need hope they need salvation of some kind like how how do we come up with a system what do we do in order to help them along to bring them back to deliver them back how do we show you know mercy or grace or whatever it may be or, or how do we just you know deliver them out and, and every situation, everything that I could come up with, everything that we kind of discussed, it was all had some kind of way that uh, it would be about one. It would be about the human. So something that they would have to do or be or say or whatever it may be. Um, but it was also, it took some kind of free will out of it. It took some kind of uh, purpose out of it. It took some kind of love out of it. It took whatever it was. It was like we, we just kept filtering it through and realizing it's not as good as the plan that God came up with. It's not as good as the deliverance that Jesus offers. It's not as good as the the surprising, challenging message of, I just have to put my faith in the one who was perfect in order for me to be saved. It usually had something to do with my own works and what I had to do to earn it. And I think the challenge that we run into with that is that when We expect sometimes, and I expect, I'll stop using we, I expect sometimes that God would lead me on a comfortable path back to life whenever I've gone astray. But what he chose was to offer his son to die for me to have life. You're telling me that's the easy path? can't think of something more difficult we are we are due with our first child with a boy in just a a month a little over a month and I I care about all of you I don't uh, some of you I've never met but I'm I care about you love you not touching my baby boy not happening and yet that's what God's surprising in some ways severe certainly uncomfortable challenging, painful way of showing grace and mercy and love to us that leads us back to life. And so when we consider Jonah and we consider our own lives, I would leave you with this idea that just maybe at, you know, wherever you are right now, that God is offering some way intentionally that may feel uncomfortable. It may be challenging. It may even be painful. But its intention is to bring you back to life. Its intention is to bring you back into line with his purpose for you. His intention is to bring you back where he has called you to. And if you're in a space even where you're, you're wondering, where is it that God's leading? What is God asking me? You know, it's really easy. Yeah, I get Jonah was disobedient, but at least God made it very clear what he was supposed to do. I give you this encouragement that Jonah chose to go the complete opposite direction and God brought him back. So if you're in that position and you're trying to see where God is leading you, I just encourage you that he's going to help bring you to the place where you're supposed to be. Even if you choose the thing that maybe you weren't supposed to, I think he's going to do something if you're seeking after him that brings you in line. Because chances are you're probably not going to choose the exact opposite of what God's asking you to. You just might not be sure what the best option is. So I want to give you that encouragement too. Uh, in a moment, we're going to respond, but I want to—I just want to pray for us to kind of end this sermon, and we'll—we'll we'll talk about how we can respond and what God may be speaking to us right now. So, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the story of Jonah, as challenging as it may be. God, I—I I just thank you for the lessons that it's been teaching me, and I thank you for the opportunity to share some of these lessons with this group. I, I hope that they feel right now. Uh, loved and encouraged ultimately God as challenging as it may be to to think about what areas of our life we may be Jonah in that we may we may be running from you in that we may be out of line I I thank you for the challenge of the encouragement to come back into line with where you're leading us and and the idea that you were willing to go to an uncomfortable painful place to offer us salvation and grace and love and mercy And that we can survive through the season because you never abandon us. You may intentionally bring us to a place that doesn't feel great in the moment. But it's going to bring us back to life. And you'll be with us the entire time. We love you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen